0: we read the inspired, infallible Word of God from Titus chapter 2. Titus 2, this is the Word of the Lord. But speak thou the things which become sound doctrine, that the aged men be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith, in charity, in patience, the aged women likewise, that they be in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste. Keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. Young men likewise exhort to be sober-minded, in all things showing thyself a pattern of good works, in doctrine showing uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that he that is of the contrary part may be ashamed, having no evil thing to say of you. Exhort servants to be obedient unto their own masters, and to please them well in all things, not answering again, not purloining, but showing all good fidelity, that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that, denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly, There ends our reading of God's holy word. The text for the sermon is verse 1 and verse 15. But speak thou the things which become sound doctrine. And verse 15, these things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. beloved congregation in the Lord Jesus Christ, if we were to back up and go into chapter one of the epistle to Titus, we would see that it begins with quite a lengthy introduction, an introduction I believe that I preached on the last time I was visiting to preach here. And then we have a lengthy section about the qualifications for elders and It's necessary that there be elders in every instituted church, and that need was especially urgent in Crete because there were false teachers there, false teachers who were infected by the worldliness of Crete. What was true of all the Cretans was true of these false teachers. The Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and slow bellies. But more than that, they were infected by the lie of the Judaizers so that they were inventing commandments of men and setting these... Additional doctrines, extra biblical, extra scriptural doctrines before the people, in saying that you have to know these things and you have to do these things in order to be accepted of God, in order to be like God. It's a very much a devilish lie to set forth a way to God and to godliness aside from Jesus Christ and adding to Jesus Christ. And we see that in the church world today and throughout all ages. That's the lie of the deceivers. To make it matters worse, these, were, these slow bellies were doing so to feed themselves, to, to satisfy their own earthly desires for power, for wealth, for fame, for influence. They wanted to be the person that people came to and for ha- to have people rely on them And they did so through their false teachings. The false teachers spoke vain, unprofitable words, and their mouths needed to be stopped. So Titus is commanded to rebuke them sharply, to stop them in their tracks, or at least, at the very least, in rebuking them, the congregation of believers would know, these are false teachers. We ought not to follow them, or listen to them, or support them. These false teachers we learn from the end of chapter 1 were professing that they know God. They had a knowledge of God. That's what that means. I know God. They have a special knowledge that you don't have. You want to know how to be godly? Come and listen to me. They profess that they know God. And yet in their works, they were abominable, disobedient, and it was impossible that they should produce any work that would be approved of God. They were unto every good work reprobate or rejected. It's over against these false teachers in Crete that we read that first word of verse 1. But, these false teachers are professing to know God but denying God. Him by their works. These false teachers are professing that they are setting forth a way to God and to godliness apart from Jesus Christ. But thou, Titus, speak thou the things which become sound doctrine. Let's consider then that those words and verse 15, which is really a conclusion in along the same lines. These things speak. And we'll consider, first of all, the idea, and we'll look at the idea of the things which become sound doctrine. What does that mean? Secondly, we'll consider the manner of how he was to promote godliness. And thirdly, we'll look at the application of this text to us tonight. So, first of all, the idea. The idea is that Titus is to promote godliness properly. And when he would promote godliness properly, according to God's design and harmony with the gospel, he would distinguish himself from the false teachers in Crete. He would be a condemnation of them while also being a confirmation of himself of the word that he brought. The false teachers subverted the minds of the people through vain words, but the servant of God must be a teacher of sound doctrine. And that's implied in verse 1. If he is to speak the things which become sound doctrine, then Titus must know sound doctrine, and he must also teach the people sound doctrine. Soundness is the quality of being whole. There's nothing lacking. There's no great want in something that is sound or whole or complete. It's healthy. And the truth of God is a sound doctrine. The true and complete doctrine of salvation in Jesus Christ, a salvation that is from the deepest sin and misery unto the highest heights of glory and purity, that's a sound doctrine, a doctrine that is complete, bringing us all unto salvation in the highest heights. A complete sound doctrine is a doctrine of salvation that God begins the work of salvation. God carries on through the work of salvation. And God perfects the work of salvation. It's the sound doctrine that includes not only that we are saved from our sins and our sins are taken away, but also that we are changed and transformed and renewed so that we live in godliness. That's part of our salvation too. Sound doctrine teaches that. The doctrine of God is also sound from the point of view of its effect. The result of knowing sound doctrine is that you are no longer a sickly, deformed, grotesque person because you are defiled with all of this sin and deformed and led astray by your sinful inclinations, but you are, you are a whole new man in union with Christ. Sound Doctrine. Sound doctrine is not explained before these words in Titus chapter 2. All of a sudden we have sound speak the things which become sound doctrine. And it leaves us asking, well, what is the sound doctrine? And now I've explained it to you as would be our assumption and a proper assumption. There are a couple of other places that treat this doctrine. In Titus chapter 2, verses 10 through 14, we have, or 11 through 14, we have a statement of sound doctrine. The grace of God that bringeth salvation. That's sound doctrine. And when we teach sound doctrine and know sound doctrine, we are looking for that blessed hope. That's Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us and purify us, to take iniquity away from us, but also. To make us zealous of good works. That's part of sound doctrine too. And in Titus chapter 3, verses 3 through 7, we have the sound doctrine that's applied to the believers in Crete. Their salvation was that they were sometimes foolish and disobedient and all these other, given over to these, all these other sins. But after the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared, Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. He saved us. That's sound doctrine, too. We can assume, we must assume, that Titus was already teaching sound doctrine. And in fact, when we come to this epistle and we say to ourselves, this isn't like Romans, Romans, we have everything laid out, all of this sound doctrine. And then we get to the second part of Romans and we say, this. Now we get to the practical part of the book, the exhortations and the admonitions to godliness on the basis of this sound doctrine. Or many of the other epistles, Ephesians and Colossians, do the same things. But when he dives straight into the admonition to godliness, for one thing, it reflects a pastoral epistle. He's writing to Titus. Titus knows sound doctrine. And when he gets right into this, first of all, it confirms for us that Titus is already teaching it. It's not as though we must speculate or we must cautiously assume, hope Titus is preaching sound doctrine too. No, we know Titus and we know Paul. And this confirms that Titus is teaching sound doctrine. It also reflects the need of the day. They needed these exhortations. They were being taught sound doctrine, but there were deceivers who are attempting to set forth these additions into the Word of the God, additions to the Gospel, which were essentially departures from it. And so the need of the day is addressed straight away as Paul writes to Titus. The things which become sound doctrine, if we are going to understand those things, we do need to have a very simple and concise understanding of sound doctrine. And from those passages that I read or referenced out of the Titus 2 and Titus 3, and from the whole epistle and from the whole Word of God, we can state this, that sound doctrine is the revelation of God's grace to us in Christ. God is gracious toward us in Christ. If you know that, you know sound doctrine. And if you know that, you are called to live in such a way that adorns, that harmonizes with or becomes that doctrine. If you confess Make it personal. God is gracious toward me in Jesus Christ. You are confessing that you know God through Jesus Christ. That God loves you. And you are confessing that He has brought you sovereignly into His fellowship, into His covenant. That He dwells with you. That He has redeemed you out of bondage out of your sins, He's washed away your guilt, and that He is conforming you. He's given you grace. And that takes you out of the pit and it sets you on the rock and on the straight and narrow path. If you confess, God is gracious to me in Jesus Christ, then it's necessary and it's becoming that you live in a way that harmonizes with it. There is the sound doctrine Now I'm looking more at some specific elements of sound doctrine. Within that broad spectrum, this broad umbrella of God being gracious to us in Christ, there are all kinds of doctrines that we can put under that umbrella. And we confess under that umbrella that my old man is crucified with Christ. And there are things that become that sound doctrine. For example, that I... Do not follow after the lusts of my old man. Those things are consistent. You can see how it could be contradicted and how we do contradict it. There's the sound doctrine that we, as part of God's grace, are risen with Christ. And it becomes sound doctrine that we should seek those things which are above, where our life is hid with Christ. There is the sound doctrine that the promise of salvation is for whosoever believeth. For male and female, old and young, bond or free. And so, there are things which become that sound doctrine that whether we are old or young, or male or female, or an adult or a child, that we are called to be godly because God's grace is toward us. More examples could be given Perhaps you can reflect on this as you go through your own personal daily devotions. And you read, whenever you read the Scriptures, you're going to be reading sound doctrine and understand that doctrine and find the place for that sound doctrine. And then reflect, what is the character and the conduct that is becoming of me as I confess that sound doctrine? There are three ways at least in which we can say that godliness and good works become sound doctrine. Why they're fitting. In the first place, godliness and good works are fitting for us, we who confess sound doctrine, because thereby we show the power of God's grace. If we confess that God is gracious to me in Jesus Christ, then we show the power of that grace when we don't live as we once lived, when we did not know the grace of God and did not have the grace of God. We live a new life. And that shows to the world and it shows to our neighbors the grace I've received in Christ is a powerful grace. The second way in that which we this becomes sound doctrine is that when we confess that we have received grace, which is undeserved, when we live in a way that pleases God, we show our gratitude to God for that deliverance. It's the thankful response to the free gift of salvation and also there's a relationship to the word it becomes the word itself it becomes me as a confessor of that sound doctrine but it also speaks highly of the word when we live in a godly way in a way that is whole and healthy and sound then we give a testimony that the doctrine which I believe and confess is a whole and healthy and sound doctrine as well. And that gives a good testimony to our neighbors concerning what we teach here in this church or what was taught there in Crete. Think about that. The, The way you live gives a testimony not only about yourself and not only about your family and not only about your God, but also about your confession. And if they see us living in ungodliness, they will say that man, that woman believes a lie. Titus is to be a faithful teacher and promoter of godliness as the things which become sound doctrine. And when Paul addresses Titus and he says, speak thou the things, in the Greek that is a present tense. So he says, keep on speaking. Keep on doing this. You're already doing it. Be consistent and be persistent in it. Keep on speaking the things which become sound doctrine. And we can apply that down the rest of the chapter. Keep on exhorting the aged men to be sober and grave and temperate. Keep on exhorting the aged women to be in behavior as becometh holiness. Keep on teaching the young women to be sober, to love their husbands and to love their children. Keep on exhorting the young men to be sober minded. In all those things, he is to press on so that godly living might be constantly set before the people of God who know sound doctrine. Going to move on now to the manner, and in this way, we'll come to see more of this of this practice of the, sound do- of the things which become sound doctrine. There are two verses that give the mandate to Titus, and that's our text, verses 1 and verses 15. There are four, four verbs that are used throughout the chapter. Speak and exhort and rebuke. And then you could also add urge or admonish to that list. When he is told to speak the things, those things refer to all of the content of chapter 2. Beginning with the exhortations to the aged men and then to the aged women, the young men and the young women, the servants, and even the statement of the gospel that comes at the end of the chapter. Speak these things. It's Titus' duty to bring those exhortations. If in his ministry Titus did not teach the people about godliness or call them to a godly character, if he does not show them that it's necessary that they obey those words and demand it of them, then he's not a faithful minister. If the preaching in this pulpit... Refuses to bring the admonitions and the exhortations which are addressed to your minds and your hearts and that pertain to your life every day of the week, morning, noon, and night, then you do not have a faithful pastor. If, even if, a minister stands in this pulpit and week after week he proclaims sound doctrine. And he proclaims week after week, service after service, God is gracious toward us in Jesus Christ who was crucified and slain and is risen and ascended and who is glorified. If every week he hears that, I pray to God that you hear that every week. But if there are no applications of that to our character and our conduct, the man who stands in the pulpit is not being a faithful pastor. He needs to bring the authoritative application of the Gospel and of God's Word to the redeemed and renewed people of God. And to illustrate that, think of the work of a shepherd, a pastor. That's what a pastor is. He's a shepherd, and the shepherd takes care of the sheep. And think about the shepherd who stands in the midst of his flock of sheep, and the shepherd, day after day, morning, noon, and night, he stands in the middle of his sheep, and he constantly proclaims, I am the shepherd. I am the shepherd. Your safety here is in the fold. You are safe. You don't need to worry about your predators. I am the shepherd. I am in the midst of you. I am here. I love you. I care for you. I will protect you. I will preserve you. I will feed you and I will lead you. That's the kind of shepherd we want. We also want and need, in addition to that, a shepherd who addresses the sheep, because the sheep wander, and the sheep are dumb, foolish, and they go the way that they ought not go, and they wander into danger. And they stubbornly refuse to be where the shepherd is. They think that they can find a greener pasture. They think that they can find some better waters. We need a shepherd who in addition to declaring himself and his presence and his love and his care and his faithfulness, who addresses the sheep and says, hold there, sheep, you bullheaded sheep. Don't go running in that direction. Stop! You wandering, foolish lamb, come back here. And he goes out and gathers them, and he calls them, Come here, come close. And he takes them up into his arms. Come here, dear mother, dear ewe lamb, and come and don't forget you, you and your children, you need to follow me this way and stay close to your children and love your children and love your husband. Come on, old men. Be mature. Be leaders. Be sound in faith. Sound in godliness. Be an example to the rest of the sheep in the flock. Young women, you know the way that you should go. You know what God has called you to be and to do. Aged women, teach the young. Be present. Have a relationship with the young women. And teach them where they should be. Young men, be sober-minded. Stop being so foolish. Stop being so reckless. Stop being so so lazy. And come and walk in the way that is good. Walk in the way that is right. Walk in the way that becomes sound doctrine. A shepherd takes care of his sheep. And he loves them. And so he, in his love for them, he brings them the exhortations and admonitions that lead them and direct them and equip them for godliness. A faithful ministry must include the teaching of sound doctrine and the things which become it. And that's one of the values of Reformed church government. Reformed church government includes the mandate that the Heidelberg Catechism be preached every week. And part of the value of the Heidelberg Catechism is that in especially the third section of the Catechism, we not only have sound doctrine... But there is the application of sound doctrine to our lives of thankfulness to God for his grace. And when we go through the catechism and when we join ourselves to a reformed congregation that is committed to preaching the Heidelberg Catechism, we join ourselves to a church that assures us, you will be taught sound doctrine. You will be taught how great your sin and misery is. And you will be taught how you may be delivered from that sin and misery, and you will also be taught how you should live as those who are delivered from that great sin and misery. Even by your presence here tonight in an applicatory service, you saw and you tasted and you observed and you participated in one of the most beautiful demonstrations of sound doctrine. That we could have ever imagined the sacrament of the Lord's Supper Jesus Christ gave himself for us and he gives himself to us so that we might be nourished and preserved in our spiritual life and that we might grow in faith and in godliness and now you're here tonight because you understand that in response to the gift you received in that sacrament, you want to know from the shepherd, how then shall I live? The manner in which Titus is to obey this mandate, we can note first of all that this is an imperative in the present tense as I mentioned so he is to do so constantly and over and over now I already mentioned that with regard to Titus that he was doing it but now I make the application to this pulpit and to myself and what you ought to expect in your pulpit and in your congregation you ought to expect that from this pulpit you will be taught regularly and consistently the things which become sound doctrine and you have a need to learn sound doctrine over and over again as we're prone to forget. We also have a need to be constantly admonished and called back, come back to the good and right path. Don't you, haven't you thought about the way that you're going and where it leads and how that accords with your confession? It's inconsistent. Be consistent and live according to your sound doctrine. This is our need for us who are sinful he is also also called to bring those admonitions according to the need. So he does not do so abstractly, simply inventing in his ivory tower what he thinks the congregation needs to hear, but he has an eye on the sheep. And we can see that in the, verse 15 especially. These things speak and exhort and rebuke. Those are all different kinds of admonitions. And you can see how in a certain case, you will need to give instruction. And you'll approach a brother and say, Brother, you're going in this way. Have you thought about how this accords with your confession, with our confession? Think about it. Let's study the Word together and let's understand the way that we should go. And a pastor could go and speak and teach very generally. He might also go and... Exhort, And he sees one who, he's been in the church, he's grown up in the church, and he understands the way he should go. And he says, come here, brother or sister. Don't you know? You know better, right? You know better. This is the way. Press on and don't look to your own strength. Find strength in sound doctrine. Find strength in Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Your bond to sin has been severed by the death of the cross. And you're risen with Him according to that new life of Jesus Christ, you follow after godliness. And you might go to another brother or sister who is persistent against that instruction and against those encouragements and exhortations to press on. And you might go to one who's been living in sin for a time and need to rebuke them with all authority and say, in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior, our God who redeemed us, You must not go in that way. And if you will not repent, you will be put out of this communion and you have no place in the kingdom of God. Speak, exhort, rebuke. Are they ignorant? Teach them. Are they weary? Exhort them. Are they growing? Maybe it's not a negative at all, but you see growth in a brother or sister in Christ and you you see them making changes and developing spiritual maturity and you make a point to seek them out and say, Dear brother or sister, I see that God is gracious toward you. Press on. And don't faint. And keep going. And know there's a cost to being godly in this present world. Keep on going. It is pleasing to God, and becoming of sound doctrine. The minister who knows his flock will know how to bring those words. And I know as a congregation without a pastor of your own and you have a revolving door of ministers, I have little doubt that you receive sound doctrine from week to week and that there are appropriate applications that are brought to you from week to week, but that's what we pray for you, that you will have a man who knows you so that he might bring the word that you need. Speaking, exhorting, rebuking. And that's what your elders are doing when they go do the work of discipline. And they go from house to house and from home to home in family visitation. They bring the comfort and instruction that's required of them according to the need, what your home needs. Be thankful for them and pray for them. Another element of the manner of obeying this passage for a pastor is that he must be faithful in presenting and framing the things, the exhortations to godliness and good works as the things which become sound doctrine. To put it differently, a minister should not just stand in this pulpit and say, here's the good work. You can do this, and that's a good work. And you can do that, and that's a good work. And you can have this attribute, and you are, live, have a godly character. Or that attribute, and you will be a godly man or woman. But a faithful minister will speak the things which become sound doctrine as the things which become sound doctrine. So that he goes and he preaches, this is what you are called to be because of God's grace. Because of the power of God's grace. Because of the character of your God and your Savior. Because of the holiness and the righteousness of His commands. He shows the connection between the sound doctrine, God's grace toward us in Christ, and the life that accords with that sound doctrine. And as many sermons as you hear from this pulpit, you have heard the connections made. I've never heard a sermon that has set forth the things which become sound doctrine without grounding it or connecting it to Jesus Christ and the will of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. And they all do it differently. And that's the beauty of faithful preaching, because it shows the many facets of the truth and shows the beauty of the sound Christian life as the fruit and the reflection of Jesus Christ himself and the power of his sacrifice. This doesn't mean that all the ABCs of the gospel need to be rehearsed before we ever can issue or receive the call to action, but... We need to have a good foundation and we need to be shown how the calls to godliness and good works are in harmony and become that foundation. Then we will not only know what we are called to be and what we are called to do, but we will be motivated and humbled and equipped and directed and fueled for that life. To illustrate that, you can see the application to parenting and how a parent when a father or a mother addresses their child and they've been misbehaving and they go to them and they don't simply say don't do that anymore do this there are times when they do but if they only say that that's because there's been a solid foundation laid this is the way i expect you to live in my home because this home is founded on the principles of God, God's Word. Because we identify ourselves according to the promise of God as His children. And we have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. So there is a certain kind of behavior that is acceptable to our God who saved us. And there is a certain kind of behavior that is acceptable at, in this home And the head of the home establishes those rules on that solid foundation of the gospel. And then he teaches those principles as well as the behavior, the rules, to his children. And so children then understand the goodness of that and the necessity of that. And mature children, when they grow up, they reflect back on the way that their parents taught them. And they will reflect that they not only showed me how I ought to live so I can be an outstanding citizen of the world, but they showed me why I ought to live that way as a Christian, as a recipient of God's grace. The final aspect of the manner of speaking the things which become sound doctrine is his authority. He is to speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. That's the authority of Jesus Christ, which the Apostle has received directly and then has given to, those, to Titus, and which everyone who is lawfully called has received as well. And when we speak of exhorting with all authority, the essence of that is that he is not to faint from bringing that word to anyone He is to let no man despise thee. Go and show them and teach them and exhort them and don't hold back from bringing the word to the powerful, influential, aged men or the aged women or the young men. In the context of Crete, Titus may be required to speak to great men and hostile, devilish men under the influence of the deceiver. But even if Titus should have to be confronted by the devil himself, he must teach the truth of what is true and godly. As a congregation, you must bear in mind that there is no place for murmuring and complaining or revolting because you are tired of hearing the application, the admonitions, and the exhortations of the word. And even if the congregation would, the minister must not stop. He must continue to speak the things which become sound doctrine. And he would do so by faith that they who confess to know Jesus Christ and Him crucified have been delivered from their sinful way. And they have been delivered unto godliness. And you must press on in the conviction that God is faithful to complete the work which He has begun in His people. My experience with God's people is not that they do not want to hear those words, in fact, they love them, they want to be instructed. They want to be encouraged and exhorted. And they want, by the grace of God, to be rebuked. Do you want that? I trust you do. Examine yourself. Do you look forward to the word of God being applied to your life? Is there an area of your life that the Word of God has been applied to you but you're holding it at an arm's length? By speaking the things which become sound doctrine with all authority, we not only come to an understanding of the way that we should go, but God uses that to confer grace. The Canons of Dort, Heads 3 and 4, Article 17. If we understand grace as the essence of sound doctrine, we can read that article and understand that grace is conferred by means of admonitions. Or Canons, Head 5, Article 14. God preserves continues and perfects His work of grace in us by the exhortations, threatenings, and promises of the Gospel. That's good news for us. Because we're very weak in ourselves. We're utterly weak and powerless in ourselves. But through the Word that Jesus Christ sends through His servants, He preserves and continues to perfect His work of grace in us. And He authorizes His ministers, His pastors, His elders to bring that Word, bring those admonitions, So that we might be fed and nourished and equipped for a life of godliness. We need that word and we need it as the means of grace. The application in the third place. The application here is very simple and it's not primarily or directly to you, it's to me, and it's to ministers of the gospel. And to a certain degree and in a certain sense, it's to the elders and the deacons and to all of us in the office of believer. But primarily, it's to me. Do you understand the application to me? It's pretty clear, isn't it? I must speak the things which become sound doctrine. In obedience to this text, I'm going to conclude by bringing those admonitions, and I don't need to invent or to try to figure out exactly what you need to hear, because the blueprint has been laid in Titus 2, verses 2 through 6. You'll notice there are four groups of people there. Aged men, aged women, young women, and young men. those four groups really identify all of the adults in the room. The aged men and women are those who are beyond the years of childbearing they have they are the grandparents and the gray gray headed ones in our midst. The young men and the young women are is not really referring to the Teenagers, although I think teenagers would be on the bottom end of that group, but the young men and the young women would extend all the way up to the men who are, have children in the schools. They have children in their homes. So they may be 15, 20, 30, 40, or maybe even 50. You are the young men. And the young women. The children... You are included here because you are in the homes of the young men and the young women. Your calling is simple, by the way. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. God is gracious, gracious toward you, children. Show your gratitude by obeying your parents. Now, aged men, God has been gracious to you. He saved you from all of your sin and misery. You must be sober and grave and temperate, sound in faith and charity and patience. In a word, you are to be the mature believers who lead by example, who show the power of God's grace, not only to bring us out of our sinful ways, but to set us, establish us as lights in the congregation and lights in the world so that in every facet of your life you are sound in what you believe in the way that you love you love wholeheartedly and in your hope and your patience you persevere through many trials and the congregation may look at you and see that you are, as aged men are the ones I might rely on and look to as examples be men of Christian maturity aged men, aged women Be in behavior as becometh holiness. You have a high and holy calling. Show yourselves to be reverent. Don't give yourselves to be false accusers and gossip or to much wine, but be teachers. Be teachers of good things and especially teach the young women. And because you have the experience, Titus isn't the one who is going to primarily be teaching the young women. It's going to be the aged women who teach the young women. Develop relationships with them, help them, admonish them, and encourage them to be lovers of their husbands and children, to be discreet, chaste, and keepers at home. Keepers at home. You're the guards, you're the defenders of the home, watching over your children keeping it in good order for the spiritual well-being of your children, and do so so that the Word of God not be blasphemed. And young men, be sober-minded. Think according to truth. Live with wisdom and discipline. It's time to grow up, young men. and be godly. It's time to take responsibility for your home, for your children's training in godliness, for the care of your wife, for using your own gifts and abilities in a way that benefits the body of Christ. And this character and this behavior For you as a congregation is becoming of the sacrament that you had before you this morning. You have tasted the body and blood of Jesus Christ. Whereby you are delivered from all of your sin and misery. And brought into covenant with God himself. So walk brothers and sisters, in a way that becomes that doctrine. Amen. Our Father which art in heaven, we thank Thee for the gospel of grace, that sound doctrine that in Jesus Christ there is an abundance of spiritual riches and blessings And we pray that as we have received so freely, we might freely give our whole life and our whole heart unto Thee in a sacrifice of thanksgiving, living zealously for good works. And pardon all of our shortcomings in this regard. Do not turn away from us, but restore us, even through the word which we have heard tonight. Amen.